0: And I'll be reading verses 8 to 16. 1 Peter, chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to, you, to this you were called... So that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behaviour in Christ, May be ashamed of their slander. May God bless His Word today.
1: Ready. Morning, everyone. Good morning to those at home. I know that we did a series on 2, one Peter just recently. No, I'm not repeating that message uh, because I want to this morning spend most of my time on verse fifteen. <clears throat> which is very clear directions for us as we look into this series about us being um, contagious Christians of the Lord Jesus, being able to have an influence for him. Verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect and keeping a clear conscience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, remind us, teach us, and shape us through the influence of your truth, your word. Help us to um, be better, closer followers of the Lord Jesus, to be authentic followers. um, For his glory, for his sake, and for our blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Authentic followers. And this is the where it fits into the series that we are looking at. So it's the third talk, but it's on that list. So in there, the weeks that we're going to be looking at to come. Next week, building relationships, knowing our story and so on, and then concluding at the end of November with working together. There's verse 15, our key verse. Notice the three parts. Firstly, to set apart Christ as Lord. We'll spend most of my time this morning, I'll spend on that phrase, and amplifying it a little bit. Um, and then the we'll, second part is always be prepared to give that answer to someone who asks you for why do you believe? How come you have this hope? What's the reason for it? And third part is to do it with his special demeanour, with gentleness and respect. They're the three parts, the key parts of this verse for us. Um, the context of this instruction is it comes in the context of our relationships with one another and our relationships with those on the outside. Peter talks about us and the way we respond to one another. In verse 9, he talks about the way that we respond to people on the outside, not to retaliate, not to repay, but to, you know, bless people, not curse people. Uh, Verses 10 and 11, he talks about uh, generally our, our life. What we have to do is at the end of that, it talks about seeking peace and pursuing it. So he's talking about our relationships and how we behave ourselves in all contexts in our lives. And verse 12, he reminds us that God is watching us, that God is listening to us. um, And he is going to likewise both empower us, but also hold us to account. And it's in that context that Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. To set Christ apart as Lord is to sanctify him, to acknowledge to regard jesus as lord as lord of your life it's to give him first place in everything and before everyone so the question is is that true for you this is a non-negotiable this is where it starts that if jesus is not lord of our life then there's no way that we can be an authentic follower of his and be an influence for him in this world, except, of course, to be a negative influence, to be a bad example. And there are plenty of examples of that, and I'm sure you know some of them. Um, It's to have Jesus at the control centre of our life, that he is shaping and calling the shots. He is pulling the strings on our will, if you like. It's a Gethsemane mindset. It's what Jesus' attitude in the Garden of Gethsemane not my will, Father, but Your will be done. And for us to be operating like that, Peter calls us to set Christ apart as Lord, as first, for us to submit to His control. I know you know all of this and I'm reminding you simply of it. Authentic followers of the Lord Jesus are fully committed and they have a consistent lifestyle. When we When those who are seeking or those who are exploring Christianity, those who come amongst us in a church service who are not yet followers of Jesus, it's a little bit like their hypocrisy scanner is up and it's waving around and they're looking for the pretenders, the phonies, those who are religious but not real. Because all people can usually tell if we're fair income. And that's what Peter's saying. We need to be fair income to be sincere. Um, because like I said, you would have met, you would have been embarrassed by those who play the part, but it's not real for them. So it's important for us to get first things first. Do you know any Christians who are not pleasant to be around? Don't look at them, just think of
0: them. (laughs)
1: How does the world see us? It's a broad question, isn't it? Lots of different answers. How does the world see you? Do they see us as uptight, narrow-minded, rigid, simplistic, self-righteous, all those negative things? Do they see us just as um, religious or... How do they see us? Do people feel condemned when they're around us by the words that come out of our mouth? I had dinner with someone the other night. I was chatting with them and they were asking me questions about, say, my life and how I was a teacher and then how I became a pastor and why did that happen. And, um, And so then I asked them about them, where they were at. And they shared that at one point, when they were a younger person, they sort of felt this pull in their heart towards God. And so they went to church and just exploring it, just turned up to see what it would be like and when they got to church the thing they remember was that somebody, I don't think it was the pastor, it would never be the pastor I'm sure (laughs) gee I hope it wasn't, I don't know who it was but it was certainly a person of significance in the life of that church. So, all right, let's say it was the pastor. He proceeded to give this young person a lecture, how he was undeserving of God, that he was not useful to God, that he was bound for hell, that he was no good and if he didn't change his ways, that all these terrible things. This is a visitor coming to church for the very first time. So what was his response? I don't need this in my life. Turned around and walked out. Sad. I bet you that story can be repeated far too many times. I wonder if we've made that sort of mistake. Gee, I hope not. But we're not perfect. I was much too young, it happened way back in the 1960s and it wasn't, I wasn't going to church in those days. <clears throat> and for those of you who are younger than me, then yes, there were people on the earth in the 1960s walking around. This bloke, it was in Wagga, and I didn't live in Wagga, I lived outside of it, but he went to church He went to Wagga Baptist Church, that's how I know this story. And when he went to church, he was dressed just casually, probably had his jeans on or weekend slacks on and a shirt and open neck shirt. When he got to the church back in the 1960s, the deacons met him at the door and they said to him, do you know what's coming? Turn around young man, go home and put your suit on. If you're coming to worship God, then you must dress appropriately. So he did, he turned around and he went home. And he didn't come back. How does the world see us? How does the world see you? In this passage, the Apostle Peter, the Lord Jesus, is telling us how He wants the world to see us. He wants the world to see us as gentle and respectful, people who have a hope and a certainty and a confidence in their life and He wants us to become like that, authentic followers of the Lord Jesus, fully committed and they are consistent in their lifestyle. We are to be people of integrity, of honesty, compassion, listening to others. They did a survey of non-church people. What are the qualities that you most admire or look for in a, in a follower of the Lord Jesus? Get what, guess what number one was, we all up the top of the list anyway. Listening. Listening. The number one criticism of non-believers of the Lord Jesus is, we don't listen to them. Not really listen to them. We've got our own agenda, we've got our own preconceived ideas of how the conversation should go. Whatever it is that is driving us, but they want to be heard, they want to be respected and cared for. Certainly being kind, but this idea of being committed, of being consistent across the board. Not perfect, because we're not, but consistent that I want to talk about in a moment, that when we mess up, when we make a mistake, we own up, we say so. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So, authentic followers of the Lord Jesus should be real. Be you. Don't be somebody else. Don't be a cardboard cutout of what you think a Christian should be like. Be you. How did God make you? He gave you a personality, which is different to my personality, which is different to Rhonda's personality. And my personality is different to when I became a Christian. I'm a different person. If you had known me when I was in my teens and and not a follower of the Lord Jesus and you knew me now, my classmates wouldn't recognize me, I don't think. He has transformed significant parts of me. I mean, it's still me, but you've got to work at just being you and accepting that. For instance, this is a very bad illustration of, of this. But when I started being a pastor, then my senior pastor of the church I was allocated to said, Daryl, don't roll your sleeves up, either have them all the way up or all the way down, not halfway. I've never done that in my life. My dad used to roll his all the way up there and I don't like it up there, I like it here which is where my grandfather used to wear his and I'm comfortable. Then I went to theological college and guess what they said, Daryl, roll your sleeves all the way up or roll them all the way down and don't put your hands in your pocket when you speak and don't hold on to the lectern. So what do I do? Well, I have my sleeves halfway rolled up and I put my hands in my pocket. Why? Because that's who I am. I don't have to be somebody else, I just have to be me. So if you're going to get offended at me, well, get offended at me. Don't get offended at me pretending to be something that I'm not. So we need to be real, you need to be real in all your circumstances and if you look around, you don't have to be anybody else, God accepts a whole diversity of people, we're not making cookie cutters, you don't all have to be as nice and as pleasant as what I am. You've got to be you, you've got to be the nice pleasant you, that's who God made. You hear about the lady who kept getting facelifts and, you know, cosmetic surgeries done and she was a follower of the Lord Jesus and God promised her that she would live a long and healthy life. So she took advantage of that and as she aged, she kept getting tucks and tips and nips and all sorts of things and one day after having a surgery, she walked down onto the road and she got hit by a bus and she died. When she got to heaven, she said, God, God, you promised me that I would live a long life and God said, I didn't recognise you. be you, otherwise God will hit you with a bus and he won't know who you are. (laughs) We have to be emotionally honest, expressed appropriately. I don't know who started it, but somebody somewhere taught, dedicated Christians don't get angry. Maybe you believe this. If you're expressing a hurt or a sadness or a grief, that's an indication that you have weak faith. Or what we need to do, regardless of what happens, you are to just smile and say, praise the Lord in the midst of any and all circumstances, because that indicates that you are spiritually mature. Do you think that? Have you been taught that? That's rubbish. It's not true and it's not real. We are to be emotionally aware and honest. If you're upset, say so. If you feel like crying, cry. Express your emotions, don't deny them or suppress them. If you suppress your emotions, all of that weight and fat goes to your hips, boom. (laughs) So don't suppress it. Non-Christians know. Non-Christians know when you're being real, when you're being honest and when they expect you to be upset, when you're not upset, they're not impressed with your spirituality, they think, something's not right here, something's weird. So be emotionally honest. They need to hear you and hear you talk about it and see how you handle your difficulties, your issues going on in your life, just be honest. And when you, when you make a mistake, well, there's an authentic confession. When a word comes out of your mouth, it shouldn't come out of your mouth. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would be surprised if there weren't a lot of us who didn't occasionally let a bad word slip out. We're not perfect. I'm not excusing it, but when it does happen, own it. Apologise. Do you have such an influence on people that when see, I get, I get. Um, brainy points because I'm a pastor. So people put me in a different category, which is often one of the reasons why I don't like telling people my job, because all other sorts of expectations suddenly come to bear upon you. And it can be the killer of a conversation. Hi, oh, and you're getting on well and you're talking, and what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Mm. <laughs> it's true, isn't it, Charlie? Yep. Because people, my mum and dad included, get very nervous around clergy people because they've got a funny expectation that we are holy or extra spiritually holy or something and you know that's not true be real be authentic And so, if you do something wrong, say something wrong. When you fail up or you fail, own up. A young bloke became a Christian and he he made an appointment to see his boss. And the boss was a little bit nervous. He knew that he had become a Christian. And he went, oh, what's this going to be about? Half expecting the new, passionate Christian to, you know, want to try to convert him. And the bloke came in, the newly converted worker, and said... I'd like to confess that I've been using company supplies, taking company supplies when I shouldn't, that I've been making personal phone calls on the company phone, that I've been cheating on the time clock. It's wrong. Now that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus, I want to put it right. So whether take it out of my pay or give me extra work after work for me to make up for it or whatever I can do and the boss was shocked but impressed. That's what Jesus does. He changes lives. He makes us more honest, more real, more authentic. We are to be striving to be that sort of a person. And if you say to somebody, look, it was my fault, I did it, I'm sorry. That'll be an indication that something real is going on in your life. God is at work because that's not normal. People do not admit these days if they are at fault. We blame other people, it's their fault, it's the other driver, it's my background or it's something else but it's not me. I love watching criminal shows and lawyers and all that sort of stuff and one of the things that's most common in all of those sorts of shows is you see the person do it you know they're guilty but what do they plead? Not guilty. And any show in the show and probably in real life when anybody goes I want to declare guilty I did it I'm owning up to it Then the lawyers try to talk them out of it so we are to be the people who are giving authentic confessions that we are to own up and we are to live out or live by our convictions and taking the consequences that come with it not to be obnoxious and narrow-minded or anything like that but just to be true people are watching you so if you have a conviction that something is wrong well don't do it they're watching and if you do do it Own it, confess it, say you're sorry. They're looking for consistency. They're looking for reality. And they're open to it. And I think at this time, in this COVID season, people are increasingly open. The Roman centurion watched the Lord Jesus on the cross. Nailed him to the cross. Watched all of his reactions. Watched Jesus' care for his mother. Heard his statement to the thief on the cross. Heard Jesus' final prayer. And at the end of it, the Roman centurion who was not a believer, he says, surely this man was the Son of God. Through observation, watching and seeing consistent commitment, real, genuine and authentic. So, we are to be real, emotionally authentic, humbly admitting our mistakes, And boldly taking a stand according to our convictions, declaring it appropriately, living it out, we are to set Christ apart as Lord in our life. And you would be aware of this, but I am increasingly conscious of this, everybody seems so busy and drained because of it. It's across the board, it's nearly all of us. And I feel especially for young families, probably because of my kids and my grandkids makes me far more aware of it, but how busy they are. And both mum and dad are both working because you need a double income to afford the mortgage and just to live in a comfortable lifestyle. And so single mums, single dads with their families, how much more they struggle. Life is tough and they're tired. And drained and then the church comes and we say we want you to work in the church we want you to be in a connect group, we want you to come to a prayer meeting group we want you to come to members meetings and that just feels sometimes a little bit overwhelming. Well if that's you, if you're running on empty, if you've done a lot of giving out and you're feeling drained and not much coming back in then what you need to do is push pause and reset your priorities, take some time out Do it today, do it this weekend, plan to do it in a week but do it and reset your priorities, one, two, three, four, five. You know that story, put the rocks in first into the jar, then put in the stones, then put in the pebbles, then put in the sand and then pour on the coffee. Priorities, what do you want in your life? Well Peter is saying, set Christ apart as Lord, that's number one. So how do I do that in my life? How will I do that? Prioritise that. That means giving him time each day and throughout the day tuning in, being in tune with him. What second? Well if you're married it's your spouse. If you're not married it's something else. Then what? Family? Then what? Church? Work? You work it out. It's your life, you've got to work out your priorities. And don't forget to factor in time to rest, relax, to be restored, let God work in you and work through you. Uh, There was Mother Teresa who said that we're like a piece of wire and God is the power, He's the electricity flowing through the wire and what we have to choose is to allow Him to flow through us so that He can light up the world around us, let the power flow through us. But sometimes, she points out, we've got like a closed circuit, we're just blowing valves all the time. God is working in us, but it's not through us. What God gives us, we're hanging on to. And we're just drying up like the Dead Sea. Never gives out, so it just dries up. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be refreshed, one of the things you can do is go serve somebody else. Go help somebody else. As you have received mercy, so give mercy. As you've received forgiveness, so give forgiveness. As you've received grace, so be gracious. And so on and so on and so on. Because for us to be authentic followers, we need to have this real relationship with Jesus. He needs to work through us and with us. We may need a fresh touch. You might need to do one of these four things. Depending on your personality, you might need to get away. You might just time alone with God. Susanna Wesley used to do it, she had 21, uh, not sure, a lot of kids and the only time she could get to herself was in the kitchen and she would put her apron over her head and she, the kids knew, all of the kids knew that when mum was in the kitchen, sitting down on a chair with the apron over her head, she was praying, she was meditating, she was having time alone with God, don't disturb her because she'll beat the hell out of you if you do. That's how she did it, worked for her. So, ladies, well, Jen, then get an apron, get a chair, put it in the kitchen, if that works for you, (laughs) be real, you might need to get away, some of you don't need to get away, what you needed is get with someone and you need input from them, you need them to be feeding you and encouraging and supporting you and it might be a group of people. For you it might be, I need to eliminate some things, I'm too busy so I've got to say no to some things. Um, We've had some people this week, uh, they were approached to, uh, you think, would you consider being on the pastoral team or being on the board? It's like, yes, I would like to do that but I just don't have the time. Well, that's okay, respect that. So you reprioritise your lives and then in the future, you might be open to it. But for now, the answer has to be no. You've got to eliminate some things. You can't say yes to everything. And for some of you, it might mean you need to top up on scriptures. You may need to take your Bible and go read large chunks of it and rediscover the joy of who God is and what he's like and all the promises that he has for you. Whatever it is you need to do to get refreshed, to be setting Christ apart as Lord in your life, to be real. Always be prepared. Having got that first one right, once that's done, then you can follow on to this. Don't start trying to do this stuff without having that one in place, because it'll just blow up in your face. It won't work. There was a preacher by the name of R. A. Torrey, Reuben Torrey. He used to travel with D.L. Moody, you may have heard those names. But Ray uh, Ribbon Torrey, I think he was from Chicago, he had a wayward youth. He got up to all sorts of mischief and naughty things and, with a gang. And here he is now, a preacher of the gospel, and he returned to Chicago on a mission one time. And one of the wow. ex-friends, ex-gang members, knew him as a young person. Wasn't a follower of Jesus. Caught up with him. Wrote out a list of all of the things that they did. Um... I had a, a mate of mine, previous church in a previous lifetime, when he was a young person, he used to love going into people's homes when the people were at home and to take something. That was a buzz for him, This is before he became a Christian. People do weird stuff wrote out a list of all of the bad things that Ribbentoree did, the guy came to him, met him in the tent beforehand where he was preparing to go out to do a sermon at the Crusade and he read out the list, you know, they connected up again, we recognised each other and he said, I think you're a hypocrite. Here is a list of the things that we did when we were young people. If you don't stop this nonsense now, I'm going to the newspapers tomorrow and I'm giving them this list, I'm going to expose you for the charlatan that you are. What did Ribbentoree do? Took the list, went out on stage, read the scriptures about how we're all sinned, we're all imperfect, we've all done things wrong. Then he read the list. This is what I have done in my life, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses me from all my sin. Powerful, isn't it? Well, always be prepared to give an answer. Preparation requires us to become is needed for us to become effective ambassadors for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, and it's always be prepared. There's sometimes some effort to go into this, um, for us to be fit Christians, or as I like to say, fatso Christians. We have to be prepared. My doctor is helping me monitor my health and stuff. Um, And she runs and I'm not going to run because of my knees but I'll do walking and other sorts of exercise and stuff so part of my goal is to get certainly fitter toned up uh, and to be a younger stud for my wife Uh, no um. (laughs) but Proverbs 28 verse 1 worries me so I am going to share that with my doctor Proverbs 21 8 verse 1 says only the wicked run ...when no one is pursuing them. I want to see what she says to what the scripture says. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone... ...who asks you, what's the reason for the hope you have? It's a reason, not a feeling, it's a reason. Christianity and the gospel can be explained... It can be investigated because it's historically verifiable. We are, many people on the outside who don't know Jesus, they view us with suspicion, sometimes with contempt or whatever. They think we are ignorant, that we're misunderstood, or we've been brainwashed, or whatever it is they think. And Jesus certainly told us we would have opposition and would have trouble following him, but we need to be ready. In the context remember of relationships of how we relate with one another how we relate with others that God is watching us that we're to seek peace and to pursue it we're to set Christ apart as Lord in our life and then by living authentic lives being real people will start to ask us how come why what's the reason for the hope that you have this confident assurance that you have And we need to be, and we need to be equipped and trained for this, but we have to be prepared to answer them as best we can. And if you don't know the answer, be honest, say so. And then say, I'll find out. Or come with me, I'll take you to Pastor Charlie and he will tell you. He'll explain it to you. Or somebody else, or whatever. Or there's a book, or whatever, ask. Come and ask for help. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason For the hope that you have. When they ask you the question, always try to think, what is behind the question? Why are they asking that question? If a person asks you, um, why does God allow there to be evil in the world, find out what's behind it. Are they talking just theoretically, philosophically, they want that sort of answer? Or are they talking about personal experience, something bad has happened and why did God allow that to happen? and then modify your response accordingly. So find out what's behind the question. I've given you this before, but if somebody came up to ask you, for instance, this is a little bit off target, but it illustrates it, if somebody came up to ask you, is abortion wrong, what would you say? Find out what is behind the question. What are they asking you? Because depending on what they're asking you will vary the way that you will respond. And if you're not sure, and if you think you know and you answer accordingly, sometimes, is abortion wrong? Yes, I think it's wrong. What do they then think of us? Or what would that person think of me? They would think that I could be judgmental. They could think that I am intolerant. They could think that I am narrow-minded, close-minded, I'm self-righteous, whatever. Because they're not necessarily just asking philosophically, do I think abortion is wrong? The question, behind the question is often, do you believe a woman has the right to choose? What's your answer? What do you call people who take away people's freedom to choose? What do you call those people? Tyrants and despots and dictators, nasty people. So how do you answer the question? Do what Jesus did. He often answered a question by asking a question. To clarify what's behind this. So ask them the question. Do you think a woman has the right to choose? We all have freedom, we all have the rights to choose. Question. When do you think it's right for a person to take away an innocent life? When do you think it's right for a person to take away an innocent life? Answer, well, it's never right to take away an innocent life, is it? Well, that's my answer. It's engaging in a conversation, trying, listening, respecting, and so on. So we are to respond like that to the questions they ask us. Why do you believe? Because it's true. Do you think the Bible is true, reliable, trustworthy? Yep, why? Well, for these reasons. This is what I have found out. What are they asking and why? See what you can going to do. And for the hope that you have, and we are to do this with gentleness and respect. Our demeanour in responding to people just as important as the answers we give the people. We're not just dispensing information, we are living witnesses. And often our demeanour can disarm hostility or contempt or opposition. Not always, but often. Remembering, you're looking into the eyes of a person who matters to God, as we spoke about last week. They are not our enemies to be bludgeoned into defeat. We are not to crush them with our superior theology, logical knowledge. They are people. Lost people who matter to God. We need to listen to their words and to their hearts. And the other spin-off of that is, when you are answering and engaging in this conversation, other people are watching and listening, observing how you respond. And the more, I think, we develop this Christ-like demeanour of gentleness and respect for all, then the more sensitive we will become to be able to recognise the divine appointments that God is giving us. Yeah. and if our answer is not convincing or if our answer is not well received well then just leave that with God but depending on your relationship you can also ask them what do you think is weak about my answer what do you think or was there something in the way that I said it was it my demeanor not right was my tone not right whatever but we are to be gentle and respectful courteous not dominant overbearing rudy or pushy And to do so to respect them and to do so with a clear conscience you'll know within yourself your conscience will go that'll affirm well done or it'll convict you oh i didn't do that right so try to do it in a way that you keep your conscience clear so here i think peter is giving us this brand new radical way of presenting the gospel it's called talking to people there are other ways There's preaching and there's missions and there's crusades and there's tracks and there's books and there's verses and there's videos and there's all sorts of ways but the primary way is this way. God infecting us and us being in relationships with others around us and being an influence for Him. Authentic followers of Jesus, watch how they relate to others. Authentic followers of Jesus are committed and consistent. Not perfect just consistent. Uh, The authentic followers are prepared to give reasons so they're going to find the reasons, search for the reasons, learn the reasons and sometimes fumble it but in the process learn and improve and authentic followers are those who are gentle and respectful just like their master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the person of the Lord Jesus, for the example, for the model that he is to us, for his spirit who indwells us. And Lord, this morning we have been reminded that number one, we are to make Jesus Lord of our life. That's the first step, every day. And then Lord, flowing out of that, having got that right, for us to be committed and consistent, authentic. Uh, relating to others and being able to talk with them and to answer their questions and to do so gently, respectfully, and with a clear conscience. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to do exactly that for Jesus' sake. And everybody said.
0: Thank you for the message, Pastor Darrell. Please join us.